This is Acts of Faith. Every day, World Team works to transform communities, make disciples, and reach the unreached. Our unique teams innovate, multiply, and expand the reach of the gospel. Our vision and aim? To make Jesus known. Together, we share the hope of the gospel on a global scale by meeting the needs of communities. These are our acts of faith. Cameron and Janet are serving among the unreached in the Brazilian city of Manaus. They work with local church leaders and believers to strengthen and multiply national churches with the aim of equipping believers to plant even more churches throughout the region. We are excited to bring you this episode highlighting this emerging field in South America. You will hear Cameron and Janet share with us how God led them to Manaus, what the people and culture of Brazil are like, and how God has been working in the communities he has called them to serve. I asked Cameron and Janet how they first got introduced to World Team. Back in 2011, we were uh, in this process where the Lord had really spoken in our hearts about going into missions. And we were in this process of praying through uh, organizations and really seeking out the Lord about what to do. So we went to our local pastor uh, from our sending church and we said, what would you do? So he sent us a list of 50 organizations (laughs) and he says, I want you to pray through these and um, look and see what they're about and uh, see where God would lead you. So we, we took the list of 50 and we started praying through each one, looked at their doctrinal statement, looked at where they were serving, um, saw what types of missions they were involved in, what kind of people groups they were reaching out to. And um, we narrowed it down to seven. <laughs> and in that, we just we were looking for an organization that was interdenominational, one that maybe had had a work in Brazil, or at least was willing to work in Brazil, uh, was maybe interested in pioneer type mission work, and also that had a, a level of creative access. You didn't have to necessarily be um, a graduate from seminary or, or a, a local pastor, but you could use various skill sets uh, to engage in missions. And it was interesting because we went on a, a quick little, just like a little road trip, but we were listening to a book called Lords of the Earth um, by Don Richardson. And we were really impacted by the stories that were in that book. And as we were driving through, we we're just thinking about the, the different people groups that were in, involved, the, the animism. Uh, we were thinking about um, what it would be like working with indigenous, thought about all these things. And when we came back from our trip, um, our mobilizer sent us this link uh, to a recent um, activity that was going on in Papua. And we thought, oh, how cool is that? That's like the same book that we're reading. And we pulled it up and it was them giving the Bibles to the people group that we had just listen to the book about in Lords of the Earth. And we just, we broke and we were just like, this is awesome. We want to be a part of an organization that's involved in this type of work. So God really confirmed it. And uh, we reached out to our mobilizer and uh, he was such an encouragement along the journey. So you had kind of always envisioned yourself working among indigenous peoples? Not necessarily indigenous. Actually, when we originally um, received our call, we really felt open to whatever God would lead us into, uh, whatever direction God would lead us. So if that was China, that was China. If that was uh, South America, that would be South America. Um, but we just began to pray through what that, that would look like. And how did God lead you to Manaus? 
funny thing is, uh, actually back in 2000, <laughs> um, we had heard about Manaus from friends and family in our church. There was actually a team that went on a short-term missions trip. And that team had um, Cameron's mom and <laughs> sister and brother on that, but he didn't go. But we had heard a lot about Manaus from them. And then afterwards, people kept going on these short-term trips. And then it was until 2007, <laughs> seven years later, we um, had heard all about Manaus and we were like, we really like to go. Um, and at the time we were trying to figure out, you know, where we would serve admissions. Um, and then someone asked us, would you guys like to come? And so we're like, yes, we're going to go. <laughs> so we went for a couple weeks in 2007. And then we went again in 2009 for a couple months. And our hearts were just really burdened for the people. Um, we were already, you know, we were already felt that God was calling us into full-time missions, but we didn't know where it would be. But after, after this day, of just really hard ministry. Uh, we were sitting on the boat, reflecting on the day, and our hearts just became really burdened for the people of the Amazon because we saw, you know, how isolated many of them were, and we saw the lack of access to Bible teaching, the lack of access because they're just so isolated to discipleship. Um, we saw in other villages how if they had a church and they had a pastor. Sometimes that pastor, he'd preach the same sermon every Sunday <laughs> because that's all he had been taught. Uh, there was just a dire need that we saw. And there was also a, a hunger for people to know more. Um, and so in that moment and after that really difficult day, we just, I feel like that was the moment where like, okay, Lord, it, maybe this is where you're calling us. And if it is, you know, we're, we're willing, <laughs> we're willing to go show us the way. Whether on those short-term trips or when you actually arrived for um, your full-time position, were there surprises that you encountered uh, when you arrived? Definitely, definitely. Uh, there's definitely cultural and language adjustments. I would say those are the biggest. Uh, we knew it would happen, but sometimes it's the way it happens, the way those things play out. Uh, that are surprising or maybe not what we would expect. Um, and during the first years, I think one of the big things we learned is that when you're in, when you're living full-time on the field and you're doing ministry full-time, uh, life is very different than when you're on a short-term trip um, and you're on in that same location. It's just the sheer amount of um, time and energy mm -hmm that's spent to set up your home, to set up the ministry, to learn the language, to learn the culture. It's vastly different than when you're on a short-term trip, you know, and you have other people that are setting up logistics for you, maybe translating for you. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're and when you're on that short-term trip, you know, we're just focused on that short-term trip and our minds not thinking about all the other things that we're having to do in daily life. So it's, it's definitely, that was a big, a big adjustment. I didn't yeah. think uh, crocodile would be on the menu. I definitely wasn't expecting monkey or, or sloth um, <laughs> or heads of the eating ants, you know, um, definitely wasn't prepared for that, but <laughs> uh, I, I'm acquiring slowly acquiring a taste of whatever God puts in front of me. So <laughs> yeah, the ants are definitely an acquired taste. They are. <laughs>
It's, it kind of has a minty taste. So, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Not, not, not what I would expect. <laughs> what does daily ministry look like for you guys right now? Daily ministry one day can look very different from the next, but I think some of the things that you could could find us doing is uh, one day I'll be on a boat heading up river into the middle of a village into a remote area. Another day I'll be sitting in a village and uh, listening to some of the indigenous as they're, they're there and they're sharing of some of their concerns, some of their needs. Um, we'll be involved in discipleship and training some of those villages, uh, working with some indigenous leaders. Um, on other days I could be back in the city and on conference calls with uh, some of the indigenous church planners and missionaries and uh, working with them, uh, encouraging them in their, in their cities where they're, where they're working in the remote regions where they're at. And then sometimes I'm just in the office preparing uh, different curriculum or preparing for the next training. Um, I could be preparing a lot of the logistics that go into the next trip, um, working with different team projects or preparing uh, as we get ready to, uh, as we're growing the field and mobilizing and, and doing different activities in that way. Um, also, you know, there's a lot of times we're just uh, trying to get something fixed because <laughs> in the jungle, in the humidity, everything breaks down. So some days we are just waiting for the repair guy to show up and, and, <laughs> and he might not show up until uh, tomorrow or he'll show up in a week or he'll show up in a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll find out. Some things are still waiting to be repaired. So every day looks a little different, um, but it's definitely, you know, I think one of the things that was, you know, back to a little bit of a surprise, but uh, I was used to a nine to five, you know, or an eight to five job. And uh, when you go into the Amazon and as a missionary, it definitely changes everything in your normal routine. There isn't an actual normal routine for us. Um, it's quite um, different each day. What was the language learning ex experience like for you? We did it in a different city, um, language school, which was advised to us by many people because once you're in the city where you're going to do ministry, um, it's kind of hard to study language and you feel the pull of wanting to get involved and do ministry at the same time. <laughs> and um, what everyone had recommended was you really need to focus on learning the language well. Yeah, I think somebody put the picture of culture and language are like an onion. You pull, pull off a layer and you kind of work through that layer and then you pull off another layer and then there's another layer you're working through. And so it's this ongoing process of getting to the core of, of really what that culture and uh, language is all about. So. Definitely a process. <laughs> we haven't arrived yet, but yeah. we're, we're definitely lifetime learners. It's a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it so important to learn the language of the people that you're ministering to? It's really important to learn both language and culture, because when you go to present the gospel, a lot of times what's really happening is you're allowing for them to understand the gospel through the lens of their own culture. And so if we don't have a good understanding of what the culture is that we're working with, then a lot of times we'll miss the nuances that are presented um, and come out of the gospel being presented in, inside that culture. So uh, it's really, it's a process that's really important. Worldview is extremely important uh, when you're a, a missionary within a context where the gospel is either being revealed for the first time or, or whether you're growing uh, leadership or growing a new church. Uh, it's so important because uh, there's just times we can, uh, we can take in part of our own cultural, uh, cultural gospel, I guess you'd say uh, my American gospel. I can sometimes take in that. And if I don't disconnect myself sometimes from that, I'll uh, 
um, indirectly be uh, kind of imposing that within the new cultural context. So it's really important that I understand uh, my own culture well, but also understand how to uh, work within that worldview that I'm working with. And I think that part of the language learning process is you learn the language, but then you're still learning the culture and, the, and that takes longer. So, because if you think about it, like you can go into Google translate and put a sentence in and translate it, but that's just gonna give you a word for word translation it that's it's liter very literal you're gonna you're gonna lose all of the meaning behind those words and the only way you can know the meaning or communicate the meaning of words is to know the context and that's part and that's only by learning the culture what is the the culture like um in manaus and what are the people like in comparison maybe to the broader brazil uh culture um we call them Manawarings, which is the Manaus people, are definitely more reserved. They're a high context culture. So a lot of things are built into the nuances of the culture itself. They're not said, um, they're kind of hidden, but if you know the culture, then you can you would know how to respond. Uh, it's a more traditional yet laid back informal feel within Manaus. And it functions more around a shame and honor uh, as opposed to what we're kind of used to a very justice, um, guilt and innocence culture in America. Um, in Manaus, it's more based around a shame and honor type feel. It's definitely a relational focused culture. So, um, you know, I think uh, I come from a task-based culture. We, we love to have plans and we love to get things done. Um, in Manaus, it's not about uh, plans necessarily, although they do have them. Uh, but it's definitely about the importance of the relationship that you have with the people that you're working with and that those around you. So, and it's not a time oriented, <laughs> uh, time is, is very relative. Um, when it works out, it will work out. When you think about the last 12 months of ministry, what are some of the highlights that you've experienced um, from the perspective of evangelism and discipleship? God's been doing some really neat things over the last uh, 12 months. Uh, our project name is called Multipliers, so uh, we're really about seeing uh, leaders and indigenous leaders within the area and region uh, be trained in such a way where they are multiplying the same concepts and skills among the church plants where they're going. And uh, it's been really cool because we've been able to be a part of, uh, I think it was the end of last year, we were part of training up some seminary students that were doing their practicum and we were kind of in a remote area and able to train these guys um, with different skill sets to be able to send them back into their ministries uh, or launch them into new ministries. And so that was one, we, we've got two church planners uh, that we're working with in the urban context um, who we've been working with for the last uh, few years, many years now, I guess five years. And we're now starting to see them uh, raise up leaders within their own uh, church plants. And they're starting to launch them out, which is super encouraging for us. Uh, and it's encouraging for them as well. Uh, but one of the one of the I'd say highlights probably of this last year uh, was one of my trips upriver. It's uh, take a canoe upriver for about two and a half hours uh, upriver. And as I arrive in a kind of a remote village, um, I had been preparing to go to this village to do a training and had had been working in, in this village for the last uh, for three months previous. Uh, and 
I was really excited because I've been talking with the school director, who is also one of the, the spiritual leaders there. And I said, hey, I'd love to come back out if you guys want to have me um, come and do uh, some training for some of your, your leaders there and the new Christians. And he said, come on out. Yeah, absolutely. Come on out. We have time. We'd love to have that on, the, on, on Saturday. So I got in the canoe and, and <laughs> headed up river. And I was super planned, ready to go. And when I arrived in the village, there were three other groups they're working in the village at the same time that I was there. And I was just like, Oh no. <laughs> so I walked in, started talking to this, uh, one of the spiritual leaders that's friend of mine say, Hey, hey what, what's going on? Um, you said that there was, you know, time was available. And uh, let me just tell you this missionaries do make mistakes. So, uh, I was frustrated. <laughs> I was super frustrated. I'm like, Hey, you said that, you know, we could do this training. And he said, um, he said, I'm sorry, these, these groups just showed up last minute and I didn't know they were coming and I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. But if you just go wait over there um, by the, the, the bed of the river, there's a little table over there. If you just wait over there um, in, a, in a couple hours or so, we'll, we'll come over there and, and you can do the training. And I was like, I was, just, I was a little frustrated. I was discouraged, frustrated because it takes a lot just to get out there. But I, I decided, you know what? I'll go sit down and wait. And the Lord really spoke to me in that. He said, you know what? It's not about your timing. It's really about my timing. And uh, I've got a, a greater plan going on in this. And so I, I just started praying and said, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to be here. And as I was praying over that next half an hour, this guy walks by uh, for the training. And he comes in, he sits down and I'm like, okay, well, the rest aren't here yet, but I'll just go ahead and start, start this training. And so started talking with him, opened up the word, and we began the training. Well, about five minutes in, I realized he's not even a Christian. <laughs> and I was like, this, this is not going to be really effective, but just started praying with him, started going through Matthew with him, talking about the, the, the sower and the, the seeds of the sower. And as we were going through it, I could just see the Lord started to touch this guy. And uh, the rest of the group showed up and uh, this non-believer said, hey, can I stay for the training that you're doing? And I thought, oh, well, Sure. Why not? And so he stayed with us. And so we did a four hour training. And at the end of the training, uh, this guy, he came up to me and he said, uh, listen, I don't know if there is any way that you guys are going to be having any type of, of uh, gathering tonight or, or, or service or, or something. But uh, the Lord, he's speaking to me and I need to reconcile my, li my life. Uh, to the community and to my family. And I want to accept Christ as Lord. And uh, that night he got up in front of the, uh, in front of the whole community and asked uh, for reconciliation with his wife and uh, the rest of the community. And we were just, we were blown away. And uh, that night four others raised their hands saying that they wanted to, to rededicate their, their lives to Christ. Um, time's now passed. And uh, he is uh, one of the guys that were, working with and preparing. Uh, he wants to be a missionary. So uh, God, God's just amazing. You never know his timing. You never know how he's going to work things out. Uh, but if, if we can have enough patience <laughs> um, to see his plan, then uh, he, he will do his work. What are the unique challenges that these believers face in Manaus? I think indigenous uh, in general, in Brazil as a whole, as a people, you know, as a a whole group um, would face similar challenges to the indigenous believers here in the city of Manaus. Um, one of the biggest challenges 
I think that they face is that in Brazil, there, there is a history, as in other countries as well, but a history of abuse um, of the indigenous and also uh, slavery um, and forced labor. And there's also a history of mistreatment. And that is something that I think still there's a generational trauma and, mis and general mistrust of the church and of outsiders in general because of that history. There's a deep rooted uh, fear or resistance um, in a way. The fear is of having to, having to give up their identity, all of their cultural identity, not just parts, but all in, in order to become a part of the church or to follow Christ. Um, there's a fear of having to worship God in a manner that is not necessarily, you know, it's not that it's a biblical mandate that you worship this way. It's more of a cultural, <laughs> cultural things that have been imposed upon them from outsiders. And so there's, that is a, a huge um, challenge to them. And I think, I think their, their desire, just like all of us, you know, is to have human dignity and, and to be able to worship God in a way that is meaningful to them. You know, uh, for example, do they need to sit in, you know, rows in the church and worship? Well, that's obviously, that's a cultural thing. It's not something the Bible tells us we have to do um, because for them, maybe what is more appropriate is that they're sitting in a large circle because that's what they're used to uh, when they worship. The other challenges that they face in the communities are there's a lot of, there's a lot of violence. Um, there's a lot of drugs and even human trafficking. Um, there's Abuse. intense poverty. And a lot of times out of desperation that, that leads to selling drugs or to prostitution. Uh, it's very common. There's a high rate of abuse, a high rate of sexual abuse, um, and especially, you know, among the children. Um, it is there's there's a lot of challenges in the communities in that area. Um, I think another challenge for them would be lack of access to just basic resources uh, like education. A lot of times they may have a school to go to, but getting there, that's another question. How do I get to that school? If you don't have transportation or you live so remote that there's no road or paved road or you have to go by boat to get to school. Um, I think the other thing is along with education, a lack of access to healthcare, mainly because of transportation or because of being, you know, living so far away remote from um, healthcare and educational resources. And then I think the other thing we see is kind of tied to their history is that even, even now there is discrimination that they face from the majority culture and can feel, they can feel rejected from the majority culture. I even feel rejected from the majority church at times. Um, and that, I think over time has led to, uh, in their own words, you know, what they've shared, what they continue to share is even just a shame or almost a belief that they're not capable. And there's a history of that. And so overcoming that can be a huge, a huge challenge. And so that's, I think those are what the challenges unique, unique to them. And we've seen that even though those challenges do exist, that, you know, <laughs> the power of the gospel to, to transform our heart 
and our minds to transform our lives and, and transform communities. And that's uh, the gospel addresses <laughs> all those challenges directly. Mm -hmm. And we have seen it transform, transform entire communities. <laughs> In following up to that, how can people be praying for those believers? I think for the new believers that are uh, receiving Christ is just a consistent walk that they have uh, within all those pressures that are around them uh, for them really to find their identity in Christ uh, as they're searching for, uh, because um, as Janet mentioned, the cultural identity that they have uh, just being indigenous uh, sometimes can come into conflict with a more national type uh, culture. And uh, so some of them just wanting to hold on to that, but knowing, knowing the time of growing in Christ, growing their identity in Christ, and how to let go of certain things, and how to hold on to others. And I think that's, that's a constant challenge and tension that they feel. Uh, I also think that, as Janet mentioned, praying for the constant influences of, of abuse, prostitution, the trafficking, all that's right around them in their doorsteps all the time. And so just praying for them to be lights, uh, to encourage, and to be able to be uh, able to share their own testimonies of God's redemptive work in their lives uh, with those that are around them. Yeah, and I think also praying for new new believers yes. or believers in communities where there maybe are you know no other believers there or maybe one or two others that they would stand stand firm and stand strong against um, the constant. <laughs> Uh, battles, the constant challenges that come their way, and also to have courage to share the gospel with others in their communities, to have that courage. Uh, that, that can be a risky thing for them. Absolutely. And they, we've already, you know, we've seen people that have been yeah. killed um, because they have stood up for because <laughs> they've made godly choices and stood up for their communities. You know, a lot of people have told us when we first started uh, in the ministry here is it's not really possible. People that migrate out of their, their communities and come into the urban centers, uh, it's going to be rarely possible for them to even get the gospel, but also they're not going to want to go back. I mean, who's, who's really going to want to go back? And we just believe, uh, we believed and we still believe that it is a Kairos moment that God is doing as he's bringing so many into the urban context, but uh, more than just believe now we've seen, and we have uh, just a, an incredible story of a drug trafficker guy who was involved in land rights issues and standing up uh, for uh, indigenous rights. Um, and he was put in prison uh, more than once and God radically radically transformed his life and now he's one of the guys that's partnered with us in ministry and he's going off to some of the the places who have never heard the gospel before and so we're we're super encouraged uh, because we know that god has the ability to transform the hardest heart the most difficult heart when you think about the the coming weeks months even years what are the ministry opportunities that you see god putting ahead of you in manaus one of our passions, you know, is really seeing leaders, indigenous leaders being trained up, equipped, and with the abilities to plant churches and uh, develop other leaders. 
And so, so one of the things that we envision is seeing more of those leaders uh, coming out of these young church plants, um, coming out of different areas, and really being able to speak into their lives, equip them, walk with them, uh, challenge them, and help launch them out into their ministries. Uh, the other is, is expanding into new communities. Uh, there's still communities, uh, even within the urban context, who have little to no access to the gospel. And so uh, one of those is really starting to reach out to more of those communities uh, as God would allow and um, seeing at what, what opportunities there are to uh, see God build up and raise up more missionaries to go out to some of the last last. What has God provided the field that allows you to serve well? We are blessed by many supporting churches and individuals um, who they've prayed with us. They have walked alongside us throughout this journey of pioneering a mission field. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're very blessed. Our financial and prayer partners have helped us through so many challenges um, and, and through triumphs as well. Uh, definitely uh, our prayer partners, the prayers <laughs> of many, they are essential. Um, we've also been, we've been blessed by Brazilian missionaries, Brazilian churches um, here in Brazil and in the United States as well. Uh, Brazilian pastors and lay, lay people yeah. who have, they have mentored us and they have taught us and they've supported and prayed for us. Um, so we, we are so thankful and we feel uh, humbled and honored <laughs> uh, that they would partner with us in the ministry here. We also um, are thankful and feel that God's provided Tremendous support from our home church, Portland Christian Center in Portland, Oregon. Um, they launched us into ministry. They were a huge part of getting us to the field, and they continue to be uh, a huge support for our family and our ministry. Um, we are we are so we're grateful for their support and love. Yeah, absolutely. If your resources in terms of teammates, finances. Um, anything like that were to double or triple, what do you think ministry could look like with that sort of expansion of access to resources and people on your team? I think one of the things I've realized that Jen and I have both realized as we've been pioneering is just there's so much work to be done. And we, we're only two people. And so um, there, there's just so much potential that's out there. And we've got a new teammates, um, Jordan Scarlett, who have joined us. And man, just having them and having them alongside us has just lifted, uh, just give us a huge lift. And we're able to, to reach out into other areas and, and just have more expanse and do better at areas where we couldn't do well before. So with more people and, and resources and even more teammates, and it will really um, help us to be able to refine and have more capacity for the work that we're doing here. What advice would you give to somebody who feels called by God to serve cross-culturally, but doesn't feel like they've been equipped to do so? Uh, the call is important, knowing that, that God is calling you um, and having that confirmation through prayer, through the word, through the body of Christ and believers around you of confirming that call. Um, but most of us don't feel equipped when we get here. So you would be in good company um, arriving here. I think what really is at the heart of, of the call is, is the heart itself and having a heart of humility and being willing to say, I don't have it all together going into this context and I'm willing to learn. 
I'm willing to humbly come along others that are there on the field and learn from them, uh, to walk with them. I'm willing to be open about uh, some of my own perspectives. Uh, I may hold some very strong values and some very strong beliefs. And uh, how can I still carry those and yet suspend judgment uh, towards, towards others that are in a different belief system or that are working within a different culture? How do I do that? And I think uh, really, uh, it stems from a heart of humility and one that is is a heart of love, really being uh, being shown through your actions and shown even, you know, one of the things we really encourage a lot of people is, um, are you reaching out to people already at home? Uh, you feel called, you feel um, that God's leading in this direction, but some of the best, the best work starts in reaching out to people cross-culturally uh, in your own home. And just learning and, and experiencing that and uh, understanding how that feels and then being willing to uh, to learn from that and grow from that and uh, let God speak into your heart. So I think that those would be a, a couple things that I would share. You know, it took us a little bit to get to the field because we were opening the field. So we really had to start with doing a lot of research and evaluation and meeting with people, from world team and other agencies and um, just to get the field, to get it opened. So during that time, yeah. um, you know, we were wait. it was probably about four year process. Yeah. yeah. 12 years all the way well. <laughs> from, our, from our, from our call when we got our call during that process, we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do right now in this weird transition time where it's like, where we want to serve, but we're not there yet. <laughs> um, and we really felt, uh, I don't know if it was a book that we had read or something that like, we're like, wait, we just need to start. We need to start ministering right where we're at, you know, in this waiting time. Um, because I think it's good to know um, ministering in your home culture is one thing, but then you're going to minister in a foreign culture. Um, so starting at home, starting where you're at um, while you're in the waiting period, and getting that experience in discipling others and in evangelism. And what does that look like? You know, depending mm. which culture you're in, it's hard enough in our home culture. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think um, starting, starting where you are, starting where you're at. And I remember when I think God can use just about any skill set. The, the main thing we see is, and I think world team agrees with us on this is discipleship and evangelism. <laughs> That's the big umbrella. And then under that come, um, you know, creative access opportunities. And there's plenty of those here in Manaus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, there was one guy that I remember in the process, he said, um, and it really encouraged me. He said, uh, whoever's not a blessing at home, will not be a blessing on the field, but whoever's a blessing to those around you at home and to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your colleagues, to, to your community, if you're a blessing with them, then you'll be a blessing abroad. And that spoke to me as like, God, I really wanna be a blessing uh, at home first. To learn more about World Team's ministry opportunities, go to us.worldteam.org and click go at the top of the page. To see prayer requests from World Team workers, click pray. To give to World Teams Ministries, click Donate. This has been Acts of Faith, a podcast by World Team U.S. 
For more information on World Team and its ministries, visit us.worldteam.org. Thank you.